آسفالت سرا ما کادر ایمونه بیزیم داستان بکت یا باش تجاناش بیکاری نگرده رای مشم که چمه پس خالی نگرده تا هشکمی فکر در ایشه همونه الادی مرده In 2005, Iran's then-president, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, denounced music that was identifiably Western. This was implanted into law by banning such music from state radio and TV stations. The banned music included Western classical music, rock and pop from English-speaking countries, and hip-hop and rap, including that of local artists. Rap music was, as Homer Kalaili wrote in The Guardian, determined to be vulgar and obscene. Of course, its cultural association with the US was a problem. Over time, one of the ways that the law was implemented was by raiding and closing studios that produced rap and hip-hop locally and arrest hip-hop musicians. Arrests could lead to imprisonment and large fines. As Khalili wrote, Iran's rulers had declared war on rap. This meant that by virtue of its form, hip-hop was politicised regardless of whether the music was being produced with overtly political themes. But fast forward to 2014, and a Time magazine entertainment features headline says, Forget Eminem, referring readers to a short list of international musicians that, in the magazine's words, were revolutionising the world of rap. One of the rappers listed in this feature was Salome MC. Salome is not only a rapper and MC, but also a producer, composer, multimedia artist and anti-militarist activist. Her website also refers to her as an educator and a herbalist, which is rooted in support for new parents with postpartum anxiety. Salome currently resides in Seattle, Washington and joins us from there today. You're also hearing some of Salome's music in this episode today. You're listening to The Sound of Solidarity, brought to you by Solidarity. We're a revolutionary socialist group in Australia, and if you'd like to find out more about us, our website is solidarity.net.au. I'm Tami Gadir, and I'm recording this episode on unceded Wurundjeri land in Nam or Melbourne. Welcome, Salome, and thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and your uh, path to becoming a hip-hop musician to begin with? Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I grew up in Iran, uh, Tehran, but uh, also due to my dad's job, uh, who was a journalist, we also lived in uh, different cities, but also countries. One of them was Azerbaijan. Uh, so even though, you know, it was harder to reach or get some, you know, Western music in Iran, uh, because we were in Azerbaijan back then, I was able to uh, have some access to Turkish hip hop, Turkish diaspora hip hop from Germany. And that was the first time I ever heard hip hop. It was a group called Cartel. And, uh, you know, the because it was diaspora hip hop, it, this is like, I think the album came out in 1995. There was a lot of themes of identity and belonging and, you know, kind of, you know, some uh, search in there, some sticking in there that I really uh, connected to. Uh, as someone who, um, you know, was ethnically Turk from Iran and traveled a lot and uh, also, you know, like any teenager does. 
and uh, yeah, after that, it's uh, I was just you know writing and trying to rap in Farsi and Turkish, Turkish, which is you know my family's ethnic language. And uh, I think you know this is the time also that internet was becoming pretty prominently just being used by the teenagers and young people in Iran and uh, kind of finding your community. And that's how I connected with other young people who were kind of listening to hip hop uh, in Iran and Tehran, basically. And then I guess there were forums back then. There was a social media app called Orkat that I don't think was used a lot in the Western world, but that's also that and Yahoo groups, I think, were just the way we, we will meet and then meet in real life but through all of that you know I, I basically ended up meeting uh, one of the rappers in Iran called Hichkas who had already recorded a few songs you know so he through him I was able to just know how to uh, you know have access to a studio record songs and from there it just kind of evolved um, I just took things one step at a time I just liked telling stories you know and uh, I it was never something that I you know, thought I would pursue in a different way rather than just like something that like as a tool, any tool of storytelling, uh, just like something that would help me put things in context in my life. Or if I want to say something and it's hard to, you know, convey it in a normal setting, just uh, put it in the context of a song uh, and use all these, you know, literature tools like euphemisms. And it was, uh, yeah, that's that was you know, early 2000s. And, I, it was, it's pretty much been the same to me since then. Is there um, an overt political message that cuts across all your music or even not an overt one, but some kind of core political message that cuts across all your music uh, today? Probably. Again, I think that the time that I started writing and rapping uh, was basically right after first, uh, after the invasion of uh, Afghanistan and then after, right after that you know Iraq and you know this is like west and east of Iran so obviously it was very prominent uh, when you were living in Iran it was like a really big part of our lives experiencing that and and you know as as a generation who grew up uh, you know during like you know when you're in your adolescence so it was the first days of internet basically and how when people are kind of learning to have to connect through this like uh, globally, you know, um, interconnected uh, tool that not exist before. Uh, we're getting a lot of information. It was very, but you know, it was different because it was not like today, where the that informational tool is used by very powerful people to manipulate. It was really organic the way we were connecting. So, uh, I think I, we were all like, you know, just like very naturally and organically a lot of people develop this like strong sense and very kind of fundamental like morality against you know things like what innocent lives really mean or like what what is what does it mean to at some point being able to argue that you know some lives are worth being taken for whatever reason you know and this is all very relevant especially now i think the past few you know this past week it's been very mind-boggling to me that just being seeing this being argued again after all these years after all this discourse that's happened since then and having all that flashback that people are still now turning around and saying that yes children are being killed uh but and there's this like you know all these like disclaimers and asterisks after that is, is mind-boggling to me 
but I think back then I really developed that strong sense uh, of and not you know compromising that. And you know it's controversial a lot of times. Uh, holding your ground is really hard again at this time uh, because you can really get attacked from all. You know if you're if you, you know if you don't have a tribe that you belong to or have your back, which is usually what people prefer because it's safe. It's really hard because you stay, st- stand in this, you know, kind of a lonely desert and you're being attacked from all sides. It's really hard to stand your ground. But I, I, I'm grateful. I think in that time, because, again, we grew up in that time, it was I, I did develop along, you know, many other people my age that I know and we talked. So I, I would say that that strong fundamental uh, morality is probably one thing that would find the new fighter, whatever project I do, not necessarily just songs, because everything, you know, any, anything that I do across, you know, if it's an educational project or if it's an art project, if it's like a, you know, community project, it's any music project. So it's, it's all like based on that. And one thing that I like to say, you know, when you say political, it's very interesting because this is like something that I keep thinking about how early on, you know, those again, early thousands, there was this time that there isn't, you're talking to me right now as, you know, because those days, you know, there was this attention from, you know, Western media towards Iran. And then I think it was interesting. And I, I don't even remember how it became that, like, oh, you know, someone probably interviewed me at some point, And then it's kind of there were a few others. And then, but, you know, it, it's just like a, it was just, inter- it was an interest. I mean, no one was really interested in what I was actually saying or, but it was just like, oh, there's this girl, you know, who's from Iran, which is like, oh, you know, and then it was this really kind of a, no one was interested in what, I was actually saying, but just kind of wanted to put me in there. And, you know, I didn't have words for that back then, but I realized like, you know, it was just like kind of uh, creating this kind of, you know, kind of oppression porn and uh, this like story over this, you know, person who's like fighting. And there was like so many, uh, you know, just blanket terms that were being used. And, uh, you know, on on top of that, uh, when they always came and said like, oh, you know, you're protocol, you're protocol. And I really bothered by it. And so my, because I didn't have words for it, right, I didn't know, but I was bothered. So I would just say, I'm not political, I'm not political. And after years, I realized like what that even means. It's not like I not political. I think everything is political. So by saying that something I do is political or not, you're basically creating this a world where it's you know it's okay to be non-political which is a i think is a very privileged way to be that i never knew like you if you are in a position where you don't have to worry about what people in authority do or decisions that are being made then well i mean i guess great for you but that's not a life i want to ever live because if i have a representative at the you know congress and the government I want to know what they're doing. I want to know what they're up to. Everything they do and say, when you go to any representative's, you know, social media, you'll see that they're posting about every aspect of life and all these decisions, all these bills are getting passed. So what does it even mean not being political? So that's why I don't like still saying that, you know, my art or any, like my story or anything that I do is political because it is life and it's not political in the sense that everything is political and I don't like to name it that way because then, you know, they create this, this you create this space for people to come and say, oh, you know, oh, but, you know, I'm not political. No, everything is political. It should be because politics means that you uh, have a say and a choice and, you know, what is happening in, in, the, in the society. And that's every aspect from your bedroom, which is happening in America, all the way, you know, to the, you know, political halls of the, you know, government. 
I suppose another way that that question could be phrased to get at what people really want to know when they're asking about, you know, or when they're perhaps telling you that your music is political in some cases is, you know, are you an activist or do you see yourself as an activist? Because I suppose, yes, you could say music is political because, you know, life is political, right? At the same time, not everybody is actively a conscious agent of politics in that respect. So I suppose maybe maybe if I could ask you if you see yourself as an active political agent and if and if so, is music one of the ways that you feel that you do that or is that more in your outside music work or both? Actually, thank you for asking that. That's great because that's another thing that I think I've been trying to understand and come to, come to terms with. Uh, which was part of this thing about what it means to be like when people ask us what it means to be political and then what it means to be an activist as you said and yes there is a clear uh difference in there and i think when i first came to the us i did have this strong urge i was kind of excited in the way that oh finally i'm in a place where i'd be able to without fear voice my opinions ask for change go out there talk and it was interesting uh, exciting, but also a bit scary. I mean, I didn't know because that's not something I actually had done before, but I felt like I should be uh, because I had all these, uh, you know, I, I'm just like interested and active in the sense that I follow what's happening. I have, you know, opinions on it. And uh, I, I also think that, you know, I can phrase certain things in a way that I think will be under understandable and maybe change opinions. Right. Uh, and I thought mistakenly that that would maybe make me a good activist. And I was out there, I tried, and I realized it's actually not for me. And I've actually realized, so this is the thing, like I, you know, I'm involved in, you know, things that could be considered activism, but being an activist uh, is different from uh, what I'm able to do and where I can use best my abilities. Uh, it would be a waste for me to go out there to be an activist. And also, when I, if I say I'm an activist, it's completely demeaning to amazing activists out there who are doing real work. Like I'm not. So that's the way what I eventually came to realize that uh, I am having certain traits. But the, the things that I just uh, listed is actually something that I can use a better creating still, you know, community projects, you know, doing educational art, you know, programs and creating you know, music and just being involved in the culturally and the community level instead of being in the field as an activist. Because I think when you don't experience things like that, like if you don't go out and try, you wouldn't know. And that was one of the things I was, I never had a feel to uh, know if, you know, I, I'm caught for that or, but I realized that I'm not. I was wondering about your lyrics then and you know obviously some of your lyrics are you know you could call it commentary with political undertones even if the politics is not the central goal of your writing of your lyrics perhaps it's self-expression and articulating you know a position you have in the world uh, just as you but it sounds to me based on some of the lyrics that I have heard of yours that the people have good reasons to to think of them as political can you say a little bit more about about you know, what you've been trying to say through your music? Now, uh, since maybe 2000, basically after moving out of Iran, I've been a little bit more uh, thoughtful about the projects I put out to. So, you know, I like to, you know, make an album and create a, you know, concept towards that and make a story and each song kind of, you know, being connected in the way that there's like a journey in there. And 
uh, I made two albums since then with personal stories. And then after a while, when I was working on the, another album a few years ago, again, with some personal concept, I just like realized at that time that I'm in a place as a, someone who's been out of Iran for so long. And I kind of, uh, do, you know, I'm kind of living securely, you know, and I had a lot, a lot of feelings that I had when I was in Iran or even Japan after Iran, because I lived in Japan for like six years after. It's very different. And the way that I approach making music and making any artwork has to change instead of just keep doing what I've been doing because it doesn't work anymore. So I, I really switch after that to that, okay, I'm here. I have some tools and some privilege at this point. And I want to, instead of just talking right now about what I'm going through, which I don't find necessarily, you know, important you know i you know basically right now i think if i write it'll be a lot of both experience of you know being an immigrant the way i am in here in america and also just i would write about what's happening around me politically but i realized that all of that even though you know it, it's important but i thought it's better for me to use whatever time and tools i have to amplify and voices inside iran so i started just kind of focus started focusing on that with my music and uh, create you know seven climbs project and so that's back to me kind of recognizing that as someone uh, when I was in Iran it was very important for me to get the, my story and voice out there and now again I think I'm doing the same thing but I realize now that when I was doing that it was more than just my personal thing too I just wanted to be known what's happening in there so seven climbs is continuation of that because it's not about me or you know kind of individuals but when I hear and then also with seven climbs because it's like a it's a project that I guess I should get into details but seven climb is it's a compilation album project I, I released two albums and that project is an ongoing one where you know I you know Iran is a very multi-ethnic country so each album kind of has seven songs and each song is by a rapper from a different region who has a different comes from different ethnic group and has a different language or dialect or accent from the you know the standard Farsi which was what uh, we were rapping in Tehran you know the early 2000s whatever but now hip-hop has spread all over Iran and you know smallest villages you will find like young people uh, rapping that's what Seven Climbs is about but you know it's hard. You, you won't hear that and uh, a lot of those you know raps and it's kind of gets contained and Seven Climbs is kind of encouraging to or that dialogue I want to create that dialogue between different young people of different radios inside Iran so they can be more aware of their each other's plights because there is a lot of misinformation even inside Iran as it is you know everywhere outside Iran too when I was talking I realized you know I guess we could say that you know a lot of these projects is all really about connection and dialogue in, in, in ways you know just kind of taking all these you know Disinformation and propaganda and all these curtains that are in front of us, sometimes very systemically, sometimes very intentionally, you know, to divide, just kind of take them out, open up those curtains and just direct, you know, person to person. Because I think once we're there, if we're like, you know, looking at each other's eyes, if we're vulnerable, we're talking to each other, we will find something. You've been invited to perform and talk at, you know, elite institutions like Yale, for instance. And I'm interested in whether the reception to your music and your artistic work has been a surprise to you in contexts like that, because hip hop is obviously not typically associated with that sort of elite institution. Uh, so I was wondering if you could talk a bit about 
that and more generally about the ways that uh, people around the world have responded to your music? A lot of times in places like that, if you're invited, it's not, I don't know where it's in context. Like if, if I'm in Yale and, uh, you know, it's a conference about Iranian music and culture, you know, so people in there are already kind of ready. Uh, but I would say that, that a lot of times, if it's just generally about music, um, yes, hip hop, I think for a long time, hip hop uh, has been, you know, not very welcome in those kind of conversations. I mean, I know now for a lot of young people, that's like, what are you even talking about? But I mean, I remember the days that hip hop was not even like, it was like, you had to like have conversations about is hip hop even music? You know, even, like I remember those days that was actually talked about in the academic world, you know, <laughs> so, uh, you know, you could still be in that environment where people maybe still uh, looking at it that way, but I never felt anything outwardly, you know, uh, obviously an ac academic environment is going to be a little different from if you're, you know, performing at some club or I I'm actually not a actual like a performer. Uh, I don't like like kind of being like in a crowd in a spotlight being looked at and also kind of but, you know, entertaining, entertaining. So in a way, I think academic environments, I'm actually a little bit more comfortable. And I think that comes true uh, because when you're there, you're just feeling like people are not necessarily there to get entertained. They're actually for there like to listen, understand. There's like a conversation going on. So when I, if I perform there, because usually it's just somewhere like that, you're talking and maybe you're doing a performance, just like an additional thing. It's always, even that is part of the conversation. So I actually like, I, I personally, felt more comfortable in environments like that whenever I was and now when I'm for example when I'm promoting the seven climb projects I always I'm always contacting universities and like trying to just like in, in a couple of weeks I have a little session at the UW University University of Washington actually just to talk about seven climbs and I would you know I want to say this about all these things about I you know Yale or you know with Time magazine or all this stuff you know it's it's, it's always there's this like little thing about all of those names you know brands western brands when my name got on those things you know i was invited or you know some journalists you know googled you know female middle eastern rapper and then put you know slap me you know in that list to you know put a article out there i mean i know how those things work so i have this like weird relationship with these like uh brands because i like using those names to you know get grants and funding so that I can do my projects and our community projects, right? Uh, because they use me, right? <laughs> they use my name. So it's like a mutual thing. I saw an article from you from 2020 published by Code Pink, which for listeners who aren't aware, I'm sure many will be, uh, has persistently been part of anti-war campaigning in the US. And it's, you know, had a sometimes quite maligned presence in certain US conversations or um, political situations because, you know, of course, the prevailing views are often pro-war from both major parties. And um, in your article, you explained very clearly how US military intervention in the Middle East is categorically not the solution to any country's problems. And if I can quote you, you said, imagine if foreign forces had intervened in America's war of independence the civil war or the civil rights movement in the name of their so-called national interests while bringing in their own contractors to capitalize on the natural resources of the continent and of course killing many civilians down the road. So can you talk a bit more about what point you're making through that particular comparison and why you felt that you needed to make it? Tribalism is so live, well, and also one thing that you know we should all accept is, is pretty 
inherently normal in humans. And I think once you accept that and you realize that the first gut reaction you have, so certain th things that are happening in the world is really based on your the way you feel belonging to a certain ethnic group or, you know, idea, you know, a certain movement, accepting that and then acknowledging that and then get past that to get to the point where, you know, we are as humans, you know, should, you know, have, we have to evolve beyond that lizard brain and whatever evolutionary, you know, survival skill that, you know, our brain is wired to. So I found myself a lot doing this kind of comparisons and like thought experiments a lot in this past week too, because I like to appeal to people's that part of the brain where I understand I, it sounds awful and, you know, no one wants to say it no one wants to, in, in this way, but it, this is the reality. Like people, when they see something, you know, happening, like a picture of a, you know, dead person who looks like them or, you know, has dressed like them, you know, a person who is, let's say, in a music festival that, you know, is dead. They relate to that a lot more if, you know, people in America, let's say, to, you know, a person who looks, you know, different. That's understandable to me. And what I, I think what I try to been doing is just kind of help people get past that reaction by creating this thought experiment where they can empathize and sympathize with everyone, you know, put anyone who's being, you know, marginalized and, you know, crimes are being committed against them. So that's like a little bit of a, I guess, in that way, uh, was a thought experiment to give context to things. Because I think we're, especially now, you know, we're, we're really see old news, just like everyone's very inclined to take everything in a vacuum. So you just see one picture and just you react to that without context. Or you're giving a lot of context, but all of that is full of misinformation, full of all kinds of tactics to play with all these again biases we have and you know this lizard brain the reactions that we have it's pretty uh i'm sure it's been hard for a lot of people this past week but again as we talked it's just so disheartening to see how and i wasn't here i was in america when you know 9 11 happened and what happened after that but i but i knew the aftermath i know why it happened i know what happened the after how how that aftermath came by. So I, I can see that because I can see ex like, you know, what kind of environment was there and now, and that was like pretty much kind of, you know, pre-social media, the way it is today. And now there's so, like, it's so organized and misinformation is so organized. The, the bots, the bot campaigns are so sophisticated. You can't tell. And all these like talking points that get screwed on and everything like, and it's working. Like you will see people, you know, a lot, it's easy to dismiss things and say, oh, this person is a bot or this person is a Hasbara or it's like Mossad or whatever, you know. But like you go to my local, you know, Facebook group for the school district and you just see same people. You know, I, I saw I mean, I saw this in my, you know, the, you know, our school district superintendents. They released a you know beautiful statement. They're like, we need to. And could, because that's what I mean. First of all. The local school district not to release any statements, political statement, obviously. So they only released, the, but they were pressured. So they released a statement saying that you know we take we want all children to be safe. So you know we won't allow any anti-Semitism, you know Islamophobia, uh, and kind of a really beautiful statement all about the safety of children, which what it should be. And then it was just these parents who are like, why you're not condemning Hamas? And it's not just that a Muslim mom comes in and is just like. 
you guys, like, I feel unsafe too. I'm scared for my child too. I understand you are, but like, I, I really also don't want to send my kids to school today, which is, this is like a few days ago before that awful, we got that awful news about the 60 year old Palestinian child being murdered. Uh, I don't know if you heard about that. This is then a few days ago. And she, this mom that was attacked by these other moms, these are our neighbors, right? And this was so scary to see because like, I, it's one thing to, you know, argue with, you know, strangers that you can kind of say, oh, these are bots or whatever, like that it's easy. But like when you see it in this level, this local level happening, that people are acting out and saying things that is really based on that tribal reaction. It's very scary. So again, all of that, going back to the point that it's a tool. I mean, I'm not saying it always works, but I've seen it work well too sometimes. Kind of paint those, you know, thought experiments to give context to people who it could be hard to, you know, empathize with uh, scenarios that maybe you, you don't connect to immediately. The other approach could be, are you treating this issue with a moral consistency? And then the way that you phrased it in that article to put ask people to be in the shoes of of those that they are perhaps endorsing some kind of military intervention with is a helpful way to do that if people are receptive to listening of course there will always be people who are not you mentioned in that same article uh, that being actively anti-imperialist and anti-war was at that time a fringe position on the US left even and I'm curious to know to what extent you f- still feel that this is true today three years on a lot more. I mean, this was before Ukraine uh, war happened. I realized, okay, the anti-war movement just does not exist in America because anti-war movement is not something because that's just normal, you know, political stance. If you're like, oh yeah, so this was an unjust invasion, so we're gonna go send a lot of weapons and all kinds of, and then we're just gonna escalate the war and we're, you know, and and negotiation. And if you if you want to, oh. Ukraine should negotiate? No, that's like, you know, giving in to the, you know, terrorists or, you know, the the people who invade. I mean, then where is like, so what is being anti-war even? Like if you're not, if it's not about doing whatever it takes to preserve as many innocent lives as possible. And yes, I mean, yes, it's hard, but that if that includes negotiating with terrorists, be it. I mean, that's, that's exactly it. Like that's, again, at this point, I don't even have to say anything because again, this past week we've seen people who, you know, they who maybe were even like considered, you know, far left in America, which is, you know, not even center left in the world scale, um, uh, argue that, you know, oh yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, if the children, yeah, they to be killed, too bad. So that's that's where we are. Yo, yeah, there isn't because it is hard. It is hard to be consistently pro preserving of innocent lives. It is very hard and it is position that does not exist in any political spectrum consistently or, you know, reliably at all. I think you're always homeless with that position. I think that's inevitable to be politically homeless in that situation. Are you still doing uh, any work with Code Pink at the moment? I'm the advisory board. I'm usually, you know, it's Iran-related issues. I'm there too. Uh, advice. Uh, it's been hard. So this is another thing with Code Pink that people, especially people inside Iran, don't have, don't really understand. Is Code Pink? You know, it's a lobby group basically. You know, they they want to uh, influence uh, American policies, right? And, and a lot of times, so people get upset if they, you know, if something happens inside Iran. You know, obviously we have a theocratic regime. We have 
a murderous regime inside Iran. But, you know, it's the same thing. Like they want, you know, if Kurt Pink does not condemn that before asking for the sanctions, saying that, you know, the sanctions on Iran is harming civilians. It's like, it's the same thing with like always demanding, you know, you know, before saying that children in Gaza should not be harmed, you have to, you know, condemn Hamas force. You know, there's all this like expectation. So it's been it's been hard in that way. To me, when I got involved with Code Pink, there was a lot of attacks. Like because I I am also you know I guess economic sanctions. I always was. I was in Iran because I can I see what economic sanctions mean. It means because it does not affect the ruling elite, and it affected me. Affected me in a very Basic thing, people don't even think about these parts of the what economic sanctions is. But me as a musician, I cannot put my music on any of the streaming platforms. I cannot sell my music on uh, Bandcamp. And this is just like the littlest thing, right? I'm completely cut off from any kind of uh, global banking. So that just like the smallest thing. And then that keeps going. It goes all the way, reaches to hospitals and, you know, healthcare. And I mean, it's affecting people. So obviously, yeah, I'm unequivocally against economic sanctions anywhere. It does not work. It does not work. It's really just a thing for the you know politicians to say, oh, we've done something when they. But yeah, it's, I'm involved with them. But after you know all this, really, uh, you know, with the protests and freedom movements happening in Iran lately, it's been hard to balance my positions. Again, you know, this goes back to that area right there. You have to stay strong with your morals like so i'm against economic sanctions but voicing that when especially being in iran uh, america right standing here being in america being in a privileged position not experiencing those hardships anymore so now my position is really more like okay i want to amplify whoever whatever people inside iran want and if, if they eventually a majority i hear that they want you know what yes just sanction them we want to starve until you know i mean obviously no one's going to say that but, but but i've come to the point where like I'm not gonna, I'm just gonna listen what people inside Iran want, and which is like connects to, you know, seven climbs again, the project where I reached that conclusion. So, yes, I'm still involved with Code Pink, but strictly about Iran, right? Unless there is something very urgent related to Iran, like a policy thing that, you know, is happening in the, you know, DC, which, you know, things have been pretty status quo recently. My involvement, like, there's nothing like an active situation going on with Code Pink. Uh, but I generally align with their position because I think they are generally um, also very consistent with the entire world. That's why they get so much ire because it's hard. It's hard to be in that position. Are you, um, back to the, the fun side of things and the music, are you well known in Iran? And what do your family of origin think of your emceeing and your rapping and your current career trajectory? I'm not actually well known in Iran. When I was started, again, this is like 15, 20 years ago when I started, when you were young and that time, yes, people were listening to my music, you know, my peers, young people. And then it was, uh, I, I felt like started feeling like a little bit of that influence. And that was around time also, you know, this is like all of a sudden there was this little bit of a foreign media attention. And, you know, I was young too, and uh, that affects but all of that, it was just like too much a little bit. So I really kind of pulled back. And then uh, I, I was not really, again, I told you, like, I mean, I think a lot of people have that, you know, performing entertainer power, which is great. A lot of my friends did have it and they became superstars. They are. But I kind of pulled back. I just like didn't know what was happening and I was not really happy. And I kind of also recognized that a lot of that attention was not necessarily, you know, directed at me personally, but just like the position I was at, which is, you know, it's like of a gray area, but it bothered me because I think I, um, I I cared more about like my idea, like the, what I was saying to be focused on rather than 
me specifically, which again, me, what does that mean? Means it's just like me as a, you know, the, it was kind of objectified a lot of it. And I'm not, I'm not just talking about the Western media too. I think just like being in that position where like young people uh, start looking at you and it's not just they listen to music, but they, you know, start sharing your pictures and all of that was just very kind of a, it was, it did not sit right with me. And again, I think it just depends what kind of personality you have. Cause if, cause I think that's can lead to a powerful position. If you can use that well for a good, that's great. It's just like, was again, was that in my personality? So I kind of, you know, I just kind of pulled back from all that. And eventually I just, you know, went to Japan and um, I wanted to you know, kind of go into academia. You know, I went to study my master's. I was going to come back, teach at the school, continue making music, but just kind of focus on education and stuff like that. But it didn't work out that way. Like, you know, I um, ended up here, but I went, through, you know, I just kind of more weird, more towards the art world, you know, which is like, has its own, it was its own. A journey but the you know it was like a lot of the, the way the art world works was like kind of a weird mafia style operations and it had its own stuff going on which was like oh nope uh, it was interesting to be a part of that i also always rejected you know just you know diaspora iranian media which you know they're really they're the ones that make you basically famous among iran you know i and then one person you know i, I had a fight with this like bbc long time ago when we were like this music festival in Amsterdam. I had a fight with this BBC reporter. I mean, he was like Iranian, but reporting for BBC because he, again, all because of this kind of, the language used that was to me was dehumanizing, but like to them, they're like, you know, you know, just, <laughs> they think that they are doing a great favor, right? So I just kind of, I think that those kind of interactions that I had also just kind of, you know, I, I yeah, uh, I, I stayed away uh, any and anyone that would be involved to putting my name more out there also stayed away and it was great I think it worked perfectly for me because of those early 2000s attentions that I had and all these you know that little time that you know again like my name went on to Guardian and Times and MTV and stuff like that it was good for me because now I can use even though I don't care about those brands not only I don't care about I mean, MTV seriously but if I put those names those brands you know and my resume when I'm applying for a grant, for a funding, for a project that I'm passionate about, an educational project, a community project, they help. So I use those. That's 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 for sure. But I have good connections and relationship with most of the people who are known and famous. And that gives me um that's why like I can make a project by seven climbs and I can reach out to people who have a lot of influence because they were my friends, they were my peers in early days. And uh, I think it's uh, it worked out perfectly eventually for me based on what I want to have, how I want to create storytelling uh, projects and educational projects and outreach. Assuming listeners are newcomers to your work, if you wanted to introduce them to your musical or artistic work today, what would you direct them to listen to first? I tell them to wait another year for my next album. <laughs> Because I'm working, because last so last few years I've been focusing on seven climbs, but also generally, you know, I've for the past last uh, five years basically, you know, I had two kids, so I've been basically kind of focusing more on parenting. It, but uh, that was at the same time that I was doing the seven climbs projects, which worked out perfectly because while I was nurturing my kids and focusing on them, I was able to still put out work, the you know, being kind of a vessel for other people's stories. I do have now stories still, but they've been accumulating. My last album was from 2016. So yeah, it's been a while. I won't be 
making any Farsi projects anymore. So my next album will be in English. And that is because I don't have much to say anymore to people who live in Iran because I've been living outside Iran for 13 years. And I know a lot of, and, and, you know, a lot of diaspora artists who had a platform back home, they would continue to, you know, nurture that platform. They would continue doing that. For me, that's the way I operate. That won't be authentic because I want to talk to my immediate environment. And also the things that I want to talk about now, what affects me is not interesting at all. <laughs> to be not only interesting, but it always be like, I would feel bad to talk about them in Farsi to people who, you know, live in Iran. So it's really, this is another reason for the project of Seven Climbs, because that's me knowing that I have some platform back home, using that not to just like continue giving like inauthentic stories of myself to kind of fester that relationship inorganically is using that to, you know, amplify the stories of people who are inside Iran. And then for myself, for my own project, which I would be focusing in 2024, the album is like, this is my next album. It's going to be about my experience here. It's going to be political, if you want to say, call it political, because everything is political. And I would say just wait, wait another year and uh, maybe go to Bandcamp. And I think there's a way to subscribe. And then when the album is released, you will get an email. And that's, that's pretty much it. If you want to support Seven Climbs, please support Seven Climbs because it's a completely, you know, self-funded. I mean, I get every now and then I get a small fund from organizations, but there's no income from it. I'm self-funding it. So if anyone wants to support, that's also Seven Climbs, not even my old albums. And, you know, go to the website, read the lyrics. I translate all of them. Just kind of create that connection, I guess. And I'll provide the links to the website and seven climbs and your band camp in our show notes so listeners can access that at their leisure Salome, thank you so much for joining us today on Solidarity. I really appreciate it and um, um, let's stay in touch. Absolutely, thank you so much. Thank you.